Season two of Love and Context podcast welcomes you. Get ready for engaging unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Our mission remains unchanged to explore the Bible through the powerful lens of love. In this new season, we'll embark on a journey together, unearthing fresh insights and gaining deeper understanding of how we can love God and live out our faith in practical ways. So let's dive into this season of Love and Context, where love and the context of the Bible intersect to transform our lives. Welcome back to the Love and Context podcast with Ben and Spencer. This is an unscripted conversation. That's Spencer. Spencer here. That's Ben. Right over here. And we are joined this week uh, by Dominique King. Thanks for being with us today. And from what I understand, prior to this is your husband, who we love, who was like, wait, you're going on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So... That's you're welcome, Kate. Actually, we, we would actually love to get him on here at some point too. Just in for this particular series, he's not a woman, so his input is less valuable, if that's fair. So well, uh, you might not think it's fair. He might not I think, think it's fair. fair. <laughs> well, you know what? He's not here on a mic, so he doesn't. I can I can hear Kate typing his email. Yeah, it's just just going on right there. Yeah, Dominique, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about maybe about your your faith journey, like the churches you've been a part of growing up? Sure. Well, I just had my birthday this month. I'm a 53-year-old woman. 53 years young. Yeah. And I have four children. And I was raised in a family where my dad was an atheist and my mom was a believer. And I grew up at a church, a Presbyterian church when I was a kid. And my dad would say, well, I'm letting you go to church so you can know who the enemy is. Oh. So it was an interesting dynamic. I would say so. Yeah. My grandmother was a huge woman of faith <laughs> and was really the picture of Jesus to me mm-hmm. and was kind to me throughout all my missteps and journey. And so when I got to college, uh, I had quite a bit of background in the Bible and people of faith around me, but I wouldn't say I was choosing to mm-hmm. follow those things necessarily. I would say I had a personal relationship with Jesus, but I felt like there were a lot of, there was a lot of hypocrisy and things right? in in what I've grown up with. Maybe similar to how I felt part of my life was Jesus was my savior, but I don't necessarily know that I made him my Lord. Right. And I come from kind of, I'm a fan of recovery and brokenness Mm -hmm. and my life was very broken. And so I think, I particularly think of Jesus as my savior, Mm -hmm. someone who saved me from myself and what, how I grew up and what I had experienced. And I definitely knew I was broken and needed some fixing. (laughs) And the guides I'd previously had, even in education for college, just didn't make the mark for me. Mm -hmm. It was cool. I went to college and I met my to-be husband or my, the man I married and the guy that's sending us an angry email right now. Yeah, maybe. He's not an angry guy. He's not an angry guy at all. He he doesn't like confrontation. So you're good to go. (laughs) He and I met and he had a very strong, disciplined faith. And we became friends, mostly arguing about things because he wanted to tell me how it was and I didn't take it very well. So we had a lot of discussions about faith, but in that we fell in love and decided that we need to go to church together Mm. and started that journey. And we got married and it used to be, he'd say, I wanted to be a teacher I wanted to be, I want to be in politics and I want to do something in ministry. And for myself, in my mind, as a young married woman, I thought, great, in perfect order, when I'm 65, I'll be ready to do something in ministry. (laughs) 
little did I know that God's plan was to have us land someplace where he did teach for three years and then wrote a letter to a church about the 10 reasons why they should hire him. <laughs> and he quit his teaching job and became a minister or like quarter time yeah. at that time. And so many people, I, I mean, I remember this really vividly one, cause I had a lot of conversations with God, like what is happening right now? I am not qualified and this was not the plan. And two, that so many people were like, you're letting your husband do that. I would leave my husband. I would be done with this whole thing, which I found fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like, mean, that, that, okay, that, that, I just committed not very long ago. You know, like the, the, I through thick and thin. I'm going to stay That doesn't married. quite sound like love. It was like, hey, yeah. listen, you're doing something I don't want to do. I'm out of here. Yeah. I, I vividly remember those things that it was just so out of the box for some people that they were just like, yeah, I'd be done after that. Yeah. And it was out of the box for me, but I'm a loyalist through mm -hmm. and I try to keep my promises. So instead, God and I had to go on a journey together about what is happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, now I've been what you might call a pastor's wife for 25 years. Yeah, but we and... all know the pastor's wife is the one who's really in charge. Yeah. Yeah, we all know that. Listen, if anybody is listening here, having grown up in a pastor's household, having known pastors and like throughout my entire life, there is no pastor and pastor's wife. There are the pastors. Uh -huh. Like they share the workload. Yep. That is just the reality of pastoralship is that they do it together. Mm -hmm. Back to the first episode where we say man and woman together are the image of God. Mm -hmm. Right. This is the foundation for the very beginning. So you have been pastoring with your husband for 25 years that we said. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He pastors a Christian Missionary Alliance Church, which I wasn't a big denomination girl, but now that I've been there for 25 years, I know a little bit about the Christian Missionary <laughs> Alliance. It took you 25 years, so. It was, yeah. You're like, just last year, I finally learned. <laughs> well, I got to go last summer to New York yeah. and walk in the steps of a gentleman named A.B. Simpson, which mm. is actually the gentleman that the Christian Missionary Alliance mm -hmm. Church is founded on. Mm -hmm. He was a minister from Canada that went to New York in the middle of, they had just finished the war and everybody, there was kind of a North and South exodus and all kinds of things going on. And they thought maybe it'd be good to bring a neutral guy from Canada into a ministry position in New York. And he became very successful at a very rich church, but then he was going down to the docks serving the immigrants that were all coming in and bringing them and inviting them to church. And then his rich parishioner said, we don't like this. Stop mm. inviting people. We don't want these people here. S speaking of that, we're actually doing a series on the book of James later. And so you'll, we'll go over why that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be a fun episode. Yeah. That's going to be a really fun one. Yeah. So he discussed it with his wife mm. and he quit yeah. and then decided he was going to start his own church. But really what he ended up starting was, I mean, he had a church, but he did he had a recovery center for prostitutes. He had a food bank for people who needed food. He helped people find shelter. And so he really had a mission mindset from the very beginning. And I don't know that it was his goal to become a denomination after that, but when he passed, he'd made such an impact mm. in that area that they formed the Christian Missionary Alliance mm. denomination. And it's something you don't hear a lot in the United States because they are completely mission oriented. Mm -hmm. And it used to be that the United States was a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't need as many missionaries. And so they had tons of missionaries that went overseas. Now, as things are changing, you might start hearing Christian Missionary Alliance more. And you certainly hear it more in Alaska, because mm -hmm. in Alaska, 
mm-hmm. that's considered a mission state. Not well, everybody well, wants to come to Alaska and live. But it's, it's hard to live here, yeah. you know, especially when you're talking about like some place north where you're often like just the boonies. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's we actually were talking about because we have we have a couple that go to our church from South Korea that are from YWAM. And we're talking about how that Korea is actually sending a ton of missionaries to America because they're looking at that as field for people to actually hear about Jesus. It's true. You know? I have done many an interview where we have been looking to hire and people will come and say, I'm going to go wherever Jesus calls me to go. Yeah. And then they come here and they're like, no mall, no this, no that. Oh, I, I don't feel I'm calling me here. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> that, that, that calling suddenly got real quiet right. in yeah. my ear. Yeah. And I've often said people that are in uh, thoughts of ministry, like they want to go into missions, that Alaska is a great place to come serve for a mm-hmm. period of time because you don't have all the things of the lower 48 necessarily. Mm-hmm. And if they think, oh, I want to go into a completely different culture and a completely different this or that, you should come serve in Alaska for a year or two and see how you do there and, and then you, go. You overseas. actually deal with culturally, even if you go like to the north or to the south or east, west. So different. It's so different in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. God's moving in Alaska, by the way. There is actually a lot of really positive movement yeah. that God's doing in Alaska. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if some one of these days we don't just see revival break out across the state. Yeah. 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 But you know, interesting thing where you're talking about how the call being strong, we are talking about women in ministry in, in the Bible specifically. So over the last few weeks, we talked about God's original design in Genesis and some of the things we talked about in the Torah series last year. We talked about the women of promise, how God didn't just work through specific men. It was actually through specific men and women combined together Yeah, because they had other kids, but these are the specific kids that God chose to use. And it was women of promise that were just as important as the men. Yeah. And then we talked about women in leadership in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. We talked about Miriam, Esther, Huldah, Deborah. And then last week we talked about women in the light of Jesus and how in the book of Matthew, all these people who you think are on the outside are actually being welcomed in. So then it's interesting. You were talking about like how people are like, oh, I, you know, I'll go serve God wherever he calls. And they come to Alaska and suddenly they call because the first person we're going to talk about with Jesus interacting with women in the New Testament, it seems like the most appropriate person to start with would be his mother. Yes. Right, Mary. Talking about Mary, mother of Jesus, kind of a big deal in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a little bit of a big deal. One one of the things that I always think about with Mary, we think we ta- touched on last year when we were talking about we we're talking about Jesus and his, and his family, is that Mary says yes to the call, right? Yes. Like God comes, He says, "Hey, something's going to happen with you that's never happened with anybody else. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to birth a child, and that's going to be Mashiach, right? That's mm-hmm. going to be Messiah." I'm going to take care of all these things. And like the promise is there. Okay, good. Then he goes and he talks to Joseph in dream. And so Joseph knows what's going on. Nobody else knows that's what happened in this case. Like they accept Jesus as Messiah, that all the, the different things that kind of go with this, but she actually walks with shame for the rest of her life mm-hmm. because under their opinion, she would have just had a child out of wedlock. Right. Yeah. Uh, even though they're technically married, I, I, the cultural things, but they're not supposed to have been had, you know, union yet. Yeah. So, like, she actually walks her entire life with shame because she's faithful to the promise of God. Well, not just her, Joseph, too. Joseph, too. Yeah. They, they walk their life in that shame together because, I mean, as we know, having kids usually takes two. It takes two people. So, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. I think it's really encouraging in the fact of, like, sometimes I think we think, oh, we're going to be faithful with God. We're going to be recognized for our faithfulness. But we very well may not be recognized in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Right? 
it may be decades or, or, or hundreds of years later that people will actually recognize the faithfulness of what God was doing in your life in that moment. And like the, the reality is you just have to be resolute in actually following what God is doing. Mm-hmm. And so then the question, like to your point, when you're talking about, oh, I want to go, I will go wherever God calls me. Well, what about Alaska? Right? Well, if God calls you to Alaska, you may have to give up some things that matter to you. I guarantee you not walking around with shame mattered to Mary. Sacrifice comes to mind. That yeah. word, that wouldn't be a popular word in general, I yeah. don't think. And I'm not sure culturally today we do much of that or even understand it because we're indulged in so many ways with mm-hmm. immediate gratification. And we have so much opportunity in the United States. Uh-huh. That concept, I mean, somebody might think I'm sacrificing because... I mean, it seems really simple things, not like your whole life. And you have to be willing and saying that yes to say, I thought it was going to turn out one way, but now I'm open to another way. Yeah. And it takes a certain amount of faith. And certainly I've questioned it a hundred times in my (laughs) own life Mm -hmm. that if I do this, are you really going to have my back? Yeah. Yeah. Like if I do, this really wasn't my own plan. Mm -hmm. What is up and most of the time it's not like simple things like when Cade decided to do his thing and become a minister I was actually vacuuming at home having a conversation with Jesus about what was he thinking and someone actually came and knocked on my door and I, I was like to almost to the point of tears or whatever and it was just a random stop by and I was like well I'm having a moment I just I can't believe this is happening in my life and they said to me well, it does say in the Bible that whatever God puts in front of you or whatever he gives you, he's going to give you everything you need to mm-hmm. handle that. Mm-hmm. I've never forgotten it yeah, yeah. ever. Like it was like an ordained moment. And, you know, Mary has a couple of those ordained moments in her life that must have been significant to her. Yeah, And it doesn't ever say anything about her original faith. Like... Did he, did God choose her because she was super faithful? Did God, did she even hear the voice of God before Right. she had all this happen to her? I've often wondered. Well, I, I think perhaps there is some indication that Mary has a faith, like a strong faith in God, because immediately after she is pregnant, she goes and sees Elizabeth, right? And there's this exchanging of songs. But like Mary's song, by the way, I'm going to reference a book here, Jesus to Middle Easternized by Kenneth Bailey. Mm-hmm. has a, a fantastic section called Jesus and Women. This is a lot of his material from there. I do recommend checking that out. Also, we recommended this in the past, but a guy from the 1898, B.T. Roberts, Roberts, Ordaining hey. Women, is also another great book, just talking about some of these topics. But Bailey, you can also listen to, if you mm-hmm. Google him, yeah. you can listen to him talk his yeah bt roberts i love him and his bolo ties yeah yeah, yeah they're so great <laughs> the one with the cross hanging on he, he's got a look going and if, sure. and if you're a, someone who like needs the auditory processing bt roberts does not have a podcast <laughs> he does not is it that wasn't a big thing in 18 1800s yeah right? it wasn't a big thing in so she goes and she sings this song right but it's a song and it's actually divided into two parts the first part focuses on mary and it has three things she talks about praise salvation and humiliation and exaltation like these are the things that god's going to do But the second part of her song actually has a vision for the community, Mm -hmm. right? That what God is going to do is it's going, he's going to uh, bring mercy and salvation. And once again, humiliation and salvation, it's like a mirroring text on itself. And these, by the way, are clear goals 
that actually happened in the life of Jesus and his ministry as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I think sometimes like people will hear me say that and be like, Mary influenced Jesus's ministry. And so to be very clear, I'm going to say, yes, she did. Like, absolutely. She did son of God on a mission, but like your parents absolutely influenced like how you go about. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a little bit of a universal thing, right? Yeah. Like your parents are going to have an influence on your life. It could be good. could be bad. could be non-existent. Right. There, yeah. There's a reason why God chose yeah. Mary and Joseph to be Jesus's parents, mm-hmm. because that was something that he wanted as part of the ministry that Jesus was going to yeah. bring onto earth. There's a reason why he chose your parents to be your parents. Exactly. Right? He keeps doing it uh-huh. yeah, he on and it. on. It's not an accident. Uh-huh. You know, but to your point, you say, you know, is Mary a person who, who hears from God? And immediately she comes out with this, we call it the Magnificat, right? Here's what I see him doing in this situation. Yeah. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting thing because the people who are on the outside, mercy, salvation, grace, these are the hallmarks of the kingdom of God. And these are hallmarks of the gospel that Jesus presents, mm-hmm. which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, ready for you to interact. Mm-hmm. And even when we come into the sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are these people. Mm-hmm. These people who you think are on the outside are actually being welcomed in because the kingdom was made for them. Yeah. And the, another thing to mention about Mary is that she knew who she was following. Because mm-hmm. like, a lot of times we kind of just associate Mary with the birth of Jesus. And it's like, no, she was Jesus's mother and she followed Jesus throughout his ministry. Mm-hmm. She was there for the wedding in Cana. She was there at his death. She followed him throughout his whole ministry. She knew who she was following and she said no to every other thing. Yeah, she knew who Jesus was. She knew Jesus was the Messiah, the one who's gonna, who's gonna forgive, redeem, save. And she said no to the earthly things around her. Right. And in that way, she was a great role model to look after. Well, thinking about a woman, mm-hmm. and you know, you have babies. I know you guys are both dads. Yes, we did not have the babies, but I was there. Right. But going back to that idea of sacrifice, yeah, I do think sometimes you really feel it when you have kids mm-hmm. that your life was your own Uh and then now you have this kid and it's taken priority right and when i think about mary one just being a mom and having a child and having to sacrifice everything for that child regardless if it's jesus or not that's bonus and extra right but also that requires an outlook sometimes beyond yourself in order to have the tenacity and grit to accomplish that to keep going Mm -hmm. over that period of time and we don't have kids that are maybe called to that same thing, but knowing that and raising him, knowing or not knowing whatever she knew that something big was going to happen with this. And I guess she knew some of it because she knew the old Testament part of things. Yeah. But we, we know that the disciples had no idea what Messiah meant. Right. Like they all had different ideas, whether they were zealots or mm-hmm. whether they were, whether they were Pharisees or whether they were tax collectors, they all had different ideas about like, what does Messiah mean? I and mean, most of them thought like wipe out Rome. That was, you know, which is just side note. It's just funny. That was the view they had because that's a very narrow view. It's very narrow view. Right. And then I start thinking about that. And I'm like, that's all too relatable. Yeah. Too relatable. Like, like a little too painful. Well, how often are we having this conversation where like, God, if you could remove this one issue in my life, I could serve you more faithfully. And you're like, well, could you really? I mean, because it seems like uh, you got people like Corey Ten Boone who are in the middle of the Holocaust yeah. and she's like being bitten by lice and concentration camps and serving God faithfully mm-hmm. and her circumstances don't matter. And then there's us where we're like, oh, I didn't get, I didn't get the promotion that I wanted. 
and coffee so shop gave me decaf coffee shop today <laughs> well that that is a, a fireable offense notion <laughs> <laughs> well in my own life i feel like in mary's probably too sometimes when you say yes to a higher calling mm-hmm. yeah. it demands more mm-hmm. and so i've often thought if my life hadn't gone this way would i have the relationship i have with jesus today yeah Probably not. I would not have chosen a lot of those things and would not have put myself in a suffering position as much because I think I would be more self-focused than being in the ministry kind of forces you to constantly be focused out or tries to force you. I guess not. You don't have to comply. But I think Mary would have been in that same position. She can't get away from this thing that, you know, that she is growing her son into or for, but she doesn't know even what it is. So it's got to be on her mind all the time. Yep. And well, it's got to grow her relationship with God, however yeah. that looked. Well, I was to gonna say, her. I was going to say, she gets a lot of benefit from the fact that she is the mother of Jesus as well, though, because you remember the story where they're going to the temple and then they leave and they're like, oh, Jesus isn't here. So they go back <laughs> and they find him and they're like, why are we here? He's like, of course, you, don't you know I had to be in my father's house? It says one of the things that she says there is that it says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Now, one of the things that I find particularly interesting when Luke writes that is uh, he's very clearly, because the Magnificat is in the book of Luke, as well as this story. Um, there is another story in the book of 1 Samuel about a guy, a kid by the name of Samuel, who is has a mother named Hannah who weeps over uh, having a child. And then God hears her, gives her a child, and then she has a really long song. And then she gives her son to the temple. And so in the section where they're talking about Jesus, it says, this boy Jesus grew in both wisdom and stature, gaining favor with both God and man. Well, if you actually read Samuel, it actually makes a statement here. First Samuel 2.26, it says, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature in favor with the Lord and with people. It's not an accident that Luke is pulling that story because he's connecting this idea of Hannah and Samuel, this mother and this prophet, to once again, this mother and this prophet right? That Jesus, like Samuel, is going to usher in a new kind of era in like a whole different kind of thing, you know? And of course, then you have connections to David and stuff. Like it's not an accident that those words show up. The text is really cool. We love the Bible. We, we It's a cool book. I don't know if you read it, but <laughs> it's real good. It is amazing how it's all linked together. It is. Yeah. You were talking about earlier and you were talking about how Mary is with him yep. at the crucifixion. She's at the wedding in Cana where she's like, hey, listen, they ran out of wine. Get this party started, please. Right? Mm-hmm. That is, that's my interpretation of this conversation, but... And Jesus calls her woman. Yeah, woman, which but is not derogatory it's in the not. way that he says it. It's just fun to read it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if you read it that way to your wife, though, maybe, like, rethink it. Or definitely don't say it to your mother. Have you? I mean, you've met my wife. Yeah. Like, like I'm not a dumb man. Like, I'm not going to say those things to her. I, I would, I mean, what if your kid said, you said woman? Well, I that probably thinking, wouldn't end well for you. All, all my kids are young teenagers, so Jesus yeah. is a little past yeah. that point. Uh-huh. But still, it's the whole thing of, I'm, you know, I'm leaving you as my mom <laughs> and I'm my own man, right? You guys uh-huh. both experience yeah. that, that uh-huh. I think sometimes, you know, women or moms can be overprotective, can yeah. have an agenda of their own. Or right. maybe be thinking differently than their sons. And yeah. he just said, hey, 
Yeah. I, I get you, but this is what I'm doing instead. Well, like, and, I've and got this. And there's actually times where Mary struggles with what Jesus is doing. Like when they're going out there and he's giving them some really hard sayings and they're, and people are saying like, Jesus is being real weird. And so like, she's like, Hey, yeah, you know, the family tries to go and say, Hey, Jesus, come and talk to us, which we're going to talk about, like how he addresses it in a minute. Yeah. But like, she doesn't always understand what he's about, mm-hmm. but she is there throughout. She's there at his crucifixion. She's there at his resurrection. And from church history, we know that she's there through a lot of the the time afterwards, especially with uh, John, like yeah. John spends time with her from church tradition, that she is a significant part of the church moving forward. Mary, in a very real way, even though she was his mother, was a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, it's crazy to think about, too, that she had other children mm-hmm. yeah. who weren't big fans either mm-hmm. of Jesus, uh-huh. of him having that calling. Yeah. And as a woman, having to balance all that as your son is growing up, that, mm-hmm. I mean, there is a lot to well, unpack there. Can you imagine, though, that your brother claims to be like the guy, the foretold person to come and overthrow in your, in your head, like... What do you mean Jesus is going to overthrow Rome? Come on. You mean the guy who couldn't beat me in wrestling is going is well, gonna... to... The last guy that did that got thrown in a pit, in a pit and yeah. sold to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sold, right? It doesn't work so well. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, you're saying that, and then, like, my brothers, I have four brothers, they came to mind, and I was like, yeah, if one of them claimed that, like, we would be all over that with mockery. Yeah. Like, like just with how we're all wired. Yeah. And yeah. Though, to be fair, if one of them started walking on the water, your opinion might change. Yeah. Might. You know, it might start changing, you know. Yeah. But beyond Mary, there was a lot of women who actually were huge benefactors mm-hmm. into Jesus's ministry. There was, I mean, off the top of my head, prominent women. There was uh, Joanna. Mm-hmm. Right. She was married to the guy who was in charge of managing Herod Antipas's court. Mm-hmm who is the son of Herod the Great, who we're going to be talking about in the Kings and Kingdoms series. Mm -hmm. But Herod Antipas, you know, fairly wealthy guy, right? Yeah. Makes the people who are wealthy today look like they got nothing. Yeah. Like he's real wealthy. And so she's a woman of some means. And she is uniquely positioned to help Jesus with her resources. She's not only helping him with his resources, she's actually one of three women that, depending on which biblical account and which gospel we're looking at, is one of the three women who actually is at... Jesus' yeah. resurrection is going to the tomb yeah. uh, when Jesus is resurrected. Like, she's not just some ancillary figure. Yes, she funds Jesus' ministry to go and, and preach the word and bring the gospel, but she's also actively involved in what he's the actually impl- doing. The implication here is that she's actually a disciple. I would believe so. Okay. Yeah. It, like, the text doesn't directly say that, but that's the implication here. She was with Jesus. She followed him, helped support his ministry, was there at the resurrection. Like, and, and for those of us who know the scriptures, there were not many people there at the resurrection, mm-hmm. right? It was just a handful. Mm-hmm. And so the implication is here is that she was actually a devoted disciple of Jesus. Right. It's actually one of my beefs with Jesus or God. Why didn't you make it a little more clear? Like you wrote this thing, you put this together. Couldn't you have just a said clearly so that there was less misunderstanding and less like wishy-washy back and forth? Hey, I think women are just as good as men. You're all my children. And I have hopes and dreams and talents for you all. Like, why couldn't you just put that in there so we didn't have to well, have the, such discussions? The ironic thing is for about 1800 years of church history, there was very little issue. Yeah. <laughs> just, you run, you really run into, you, you run into it in sections, but like not in, not as, as a church whole, do people struggle with women actually serving in, in capacity of ministry and sharing the gospel and things like that. Well, and I'm not a historian, but I've often wondered, it seems more so in the United States. Mm -hmm. Like, 
if you go over, there's tons of female missionaries that are going and doing their thing. A lot of them that have chosen not to marry mm -hmm. and they are leading yeah. all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the United States, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Maybe you guys know what, what that hold up or what that changes. I mean, I do feel like anytime Satan has the option to try to have an argument or corrupt what God intended, you know, that's his job. I, I have a, I have an opinion on it. I am. It's, this is not something that is a, that I'm, will be like, Hey, this is a theological fact, but the reality in America is we face very little to no persecution. And so we tend to argue about pointless things because I guarantee you, if we were being hunted for our lives and there were people sharing the gospel, we don't care if it's a woman or a man who's mm -hmm. teaching, we are desiring to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, we're going to set aside a lot of our differences in pursuit of actually following him. Well, and Paul says, I can't remember exactly where, but when he's talking about the gospel being preached, he's like, who cares if their motives are pure, like right or wrong, the, the gospel is still being proclaimed. Mm -hmm. Right. Which that's a little bit of a hard pill to swallow for some people, but we can disagree on this. But like, so if someone comes to me and is like, well, I don't think women should be allowed to preach, but there's a woman over there who is preaching and people are coming to know Jesus because of it. Yeah. At some point, like, even if you don't think that should be happening, you should set your opinion aside because right. we actually have scriptural backing to say, right. just recognize what God is doing in the midst just of recognize that. Recognize what he is doing in the midst of that. The church history piece is kind of interesting because as, like you were saying, there wasn't much, there actually wasn't much issue with this until denominations started coming into play. Mm -hmm. Like it was really when denominations started fracturing out and becoming their own, where they started to have their own opinions right. uh, and reflections and interpretations on these things. No, I do want to specify, I don't want to say that there were no issues. Like there's always been issues of people disagreeing about yeah. it. I mean, I mean, but that's going back to like, yeah. you have people disagreeing about like Gnosticism and like Doticism and like all these different things going on in the first couple of centuries that of course, women serving in ministry is going to be a topic at some point, but there is a thread all throughout church history of women serving faithfully and God blessing it mm -hmm. through church history and which yeah. we, we will talk about. Uh, I think that's in a couple episodes. In fact, I think we're going to have one of your pastors with us. Pastor Sarah is going to be coming back. Mm -hmm. We didn't scare her off too much last time. So she yeah. said she'd come back. So coming back to some, some of these benefactors. So there's Joanna, yeah. there's uh, Susanna, who we don't know anything about except the fact that she's named, which is a big deal. And that she provides other resources. And this is also, there are others that provide other resources. There is Mary Magdalene, who is named. And the thing, only thing that we know about Mary Magdalene for sure is that she had seven demons inside of her that were driven out. Mm -hmm. By the way, I want to clear up something that is really popular in, oh, know, in, in conversation, I know but is at. not actually biblical. Uh-huh. Mary Magdalene is not a prostitute. Mm -hmm. That was a musing from Augustine where he was, he equated Mary Magdalene with Mary, the prostitute. There is no implication in the text that those are the same person. Yeah. Just be very careful when you're blogging, <laughs> I guess would be the equivalent to what Augustine did that you're actually talking about the right people in the right context, because a lot of times like Mary Magdalene has been portrayed as a prostitute. And there's no indication that she was. In fact, it, the indication is that she was actually a very prominent mm -hmm. disciple and minister post Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I think somebody who was lived a life of brokenness and then was healed with Jesus, yeah. that it's going to be pretty powerful and persuasive. The passion and the purpose is going to be complete for her. She'd be all in. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I hear sometimes they also say that Jesus had a relationship with one yeah. of the two, which I don't fi find any evidence for. So that actually comes from the Gospel of Thomas. And sometimes we'll, we'll talk about like why the Gospel of Thomas is not a reliable source for biblical, biblical authority. But most of that comes from the Gospel of Thomas or Gospel of Judas. Mm -hmm. And there is a reason that those books are not canonized. We won't get into them today. But there is substantial research on why those are not accepted. Mm. But that's a whole... Whole yeah, she's just finding those cans. She's yeah. pouring them out all over the place here. Sorry, <laughs> she's outlining season three for us. Yeah, season three right there. So it's interesting in this in, the, in this position in Luke, where Luke is mentioning all these women that are helping. You know, he's mentioning yeah. Joanna and Susanna, these other women, Mary Magdalene. You know what's missing from that list? Names of men. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's an accident by Luke, mm -hmm. right? I think Luke is trying to actually like point out something here is that women are very involved in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, throughout the book of Luke, and we're going to talk about this as we talk start talking about Jesus' disciples, uh, Luke is constantly taking Jesus' teachings and showing how he's pairing them between men and women, mm -hmm. right? And how it's directed at not one particular sex, but at the overall picture of humanity, Right. The call of the kingdom is a call to humanity, not to a man or to a woman. I think when you read the Bible as a whole, like if you look at, I was saying earlier that I took all the scriptures surrounding women at one point and read all the context and read, you know, some of the rhetoric about it and things that even though there is an argument for hierarchical things in specific passages, the overall context of the Bible is mm. equality and loving each other and, right. you know, partnership, right? We're all, even, you know, you have Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. There's not, I mean, they're all mm -hmm. in partnership together. Yeah. Right. Well, we talked about in the first episode in the series, uh, in the book of Genesis, yeah. it's they rule, they reign, they subdue, they fill the earth, they are fruitful, mm -hmm. they multiply. There is no tell the man to go submit and, you know, take over the world and subdue and multiply. No, it's they. It's always they in, the, in that section. And so if the idea of the sacrifice of Jesus is actually to reverse the curse that's brought on post-Eden, right? Why would we live like the curse still is enacted? So what, did Jesus reverse the curse or didn't he? Mm -hmm. That's the question. that We're still going to be in a fallen world, but we are no longer fallen people because he changed our very nature yeah. to the very righteousness of God. In other words, he did. Yeah, exactly. In other words, he did. He did. And backing up to Genesis again, when it says that God is going to make a suitable helper, that, that phrase is the same phrase that is used for God as my helper. Yeah. And so it's this idea of man and woman in mutual submission to each other, creating the full image of God, bringing the fullness of God. Huh. Man, it feels like Paul said something about men and women submit to each other. Yes. Yeah. You know? Right. Which ties over to that passage. Yeah. And are, are you saying... That Paul the Apostle knew what he was talking about. I absolutely yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. And, and so when you're looking at the idea of women in ministry and wrestling with this, you really got to look at the whole picture. Right. Like you really got to look and see that there were prominent women of this day and age who were following Jesus. Right. Who they were, were disciples of Jesus. Yeah. So with that in mind, let's actually get into the disciples. Yeah. Right. Because this is a piece where people, I feel like we have this conversation with people who have a different theology, theological bent than I do, right? Yeah. And they say, well, but the disciples were all men. Yes. And I said, no, the 12 disciples were men. And there's a good reason for them to all be men. Because they were supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes. Who, by the way, were all men. 
Yes. So it makes sense that you would have 12 men represent 12 men from to, for Israel. But Jesus had a lot more than 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. He had 12 that were part of his, like they ultimately were ended up being called apostles. But we even know from the book of Acts that there was more than 12 that followed him the entire time because they had two other people that they could choose to replace Judas. Mm-hmm. So there was at least 14, mm-hmm. right? Well, and then for Matthew 10, when he sends them out, he sends 70 or 72 out. 70 or 72, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is a, there's a fun conversation about there in the Greek that we're not going to get into today, but it actually connects to a piece of scripture in the Old Testament. So go find that, have fun, and then we'll talk about it later. Yes. So when he's sending them out in Matthew 10, he's sending a large group of people out. Well, and my math isn't good, like super good, but I'm pretty sure 70 or 72 is more than 12. Yeah. Like last time I checked, 70 or 72 uh-huh. is more than 12. Uh-huh. And so... So the 12 were men, absolutely. There's no denying that. But there were other women who did follow Jesus, and we have textual evidence for that. Yeah, and generally speaking, the word disciple is going to be a masculine noun, generally speaking, in Greek. Now, a lot of these guys would have been just writing in very rudimentary Greek, so they wouldn't have necessarily had, like, super polished Greek. Mm -hmm. Maybe Luke, because he is a doctor, Mm -hmm. would have been a little bit more polished. But there is one occurrence of a disciple showing up as a feminine noun, and it's in uh, Acts 9.36, referring to Tabitha, or my favorite way is Dorcas, mm-hmm. because that's a great name. <laughs> it's so good. I was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they're like, why did they say, like, Tabitha, also known as Dorcas? Like, that's really confusing. And I was like, well, it's confusing, but they came from, like, a place of, like, multiple languages, and I was like, for example, we have a guy who goes to our church. He, he goes by Joshua. His name is Jeho. And I was like, if I say, I was like, I was talking to Jeho, and somebody's like, who is that? I was like, oh, also known as Joshua. Yeah. Right? Like, it's actually not a, that strange of a thing when you're dealing with a bunch of cultures interacting. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty common. Yeah. We're actually going to talk about Tabitha, I think, a little bit more next week. Yeah. 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 And there's even in Paul's writings, Romans 16 has multiple references of women who were either in leadership or considered mm-hmm. apostles. Right. And so that's right. another conversation. Yep. That's next week's conversation, which uh, you guys will never guess we got uh, Pastor Nick's wife to be with us next week. So that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Buckle up because I'm sure the desert's going to be real hot on that one. <laughs> that is it. That's a common phrase we say, by the way, the desert is hot. When Nick was on an episode, we said it apparently like 30 times. And she's like, you guys say that a lot. And so... <laughs> I, we just, we made her a t-shirt and we periodically just throw it into things. That's like even when we're preaching, I'll be like, I'm like, yeah, they're wandering the desert. And I don't know if you guys know this, but the desert's really hot. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's definitely been a thing for like a year with the idea of also the disciples. Remember when I was talking about when Mary and her brothers, uh, his brothers and sisters come and they're like, Hey Jesus, you're getting kind of weird. Right. Yeah. And so they come there, but there's like so many people like meeting with them that they can't actually get there to talk to him. Uh-huh. And so somebody comes and says, hey, your mother and brothers are here. And he says, who are my mothers and brothers? I tell you the truth that, and then he says, gesturing to his disciples. Mm -hmm. These are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Okay. Gesturing to his disciples. He adds this thing about sisters because it's just his mother and brothers are are coming. He has this thing about sisters. Now it's really weird for him to do that if there aren't women there that are following him mm-hmm. and it's something you can easily read right past, but it's pretty blatant in the text that Jesus gestures to his disciples and says, 
These are my disciples, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. And so it's not a half-baked theory that there are women who are following Jesus and are actually uh, discipling with him. Yep. I don't understand. I mean, I'm not a traditionalist, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, you said that like you were going to shock us when you came in here. Well... <laughs> She's like, I'm not a traditionalist. Like, just, I hope I won't get kicked off this podcast. I'm like, clearly you've not listened to enough episodes of us talking. <laughs> women are influencers. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm going to fall short of women rule the world, but they have the babies. They raise mm -hmm. the babies. They mm -hmm. do everything of life. Mm -hmm. How on earth could they not be influencing in every single spot? Mm -hmm. To me, some of this argument is mute. Like, and if a man wants to make that argument that then hopefully he has a daughter and it shuts him up because <laughs> it will yeah it i will mean i up. feel that way and you know i want my daughter to have every opportunity and that my boys i have three boys and one girl and that yeah. one girl can wrap those three boys up lickety split yep and they will honor her and support her and they love her and give her equal status of intelligence and everything else. I don't know how it gets corrupted or how it gets changed later to have that conflict other than if people could get all get along and husbands and wives could work as a team on a consistent basis in the area of Jesus, mm -hmm. we yeah. rule the world. Right. Together. You might say that we would subdue the earth, fill it, and multiply. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly we're not doing that now. So yeah. the other side is winning. Like, yeah. we should come to our senses and figure out that when we live in a, a community of love and support, then we lift each other up. Yeah. yeah. And then we make differences, you know, and that can be ongoing. It can, you know, never a straight line. It's always got like some ups and downs and curves here and there. Yeah, I completely agree with you, but you know, the main, one of the main reasons we're doing this mini series is because we do get a lot of questions about that. Specifically, we have listeners from the Pentecostal to the conservative bent, mm -hmm. right? And and so we get periodic questions or periodic statements about like that's not what the Bible teaches. So that's what we're doing over the next eight weeks is we're methodically going through and talking about like what does the Bible actually teach? Yeah. So like the fact that people say, well, Jesus didn't have any disciples who were women, the text he is did. pretty clear. He did. In fact, one of, one of the best examples is in Luke when they go to Mary and Martha's house. Now I've heard this talked about in sermons mm -hmm. a million times, right? And uh, like, you should be a Mary, not a Martha. And first of all, it, Martha's also make dinner. So that's not a bad thing. Like food is good. I like food. I was like, so if you want to be a Martha, even if you're a dude, go be a Martha. Cause I love food. Right. Mm -hmm. But it says specifically that Mary sat at the feet, sat at the feet, which is a euphemism. It's a turn of phrase. An idiom is what the word is. It also says, in other words, that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, right? This is what you do if you're a disciple, you sit at the feet of the rabbi. So it's not a, it's not just a random turn of phrase that she's sitting at his feet. They're not talking about her location. Yeah. They're talking about her vocation. So true. Her vocation is actually follower of Jesus. Mm. We've talked about like that there's more than 12. You know, I was like, when Jesus starts talking to them about it, he's like, hey, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's some of them can't handle it and they leave. Okay. And then there's still 12. So clearly there's more than 12 there. Right. Yeah. I don't know whether or not Mary and Martha were following all the time, but they were at least following part of the time. Well, that verse gets me worked up anyway. Cause mm -hmm. I think 
people use it in a lot of different ways. They even compare busy type people to more solace type people or people that want to sit and they kind of pit those personalities against each other like one's better than the other it's like oh my gosh i don't understand which is totally not (laughs) like it's more spiritual if you are a sitter and not a doer like Mm -hmm. okay it doesn't even make sense with the talents and gifts that god has given it is silly to to do that well so one of the points that bailey will make in his book in this section he actually will talk about that is that the account of Martha is distracted, not burdened with this serving and to be distracted from something you have, you like to something you have to be distracted from something. So she's actually being distracted from what God is like, what Jesus is there to do, which is to make disciples to something else that she thinks is really important. She's like, why are you learning at the feet when you should be helping me cook? Because clearly that's what we have to do. Missing the fact that Jesus is actually calling her to come and sit at the feet. And by the way, like, doers versus sitters it takes a lot to learn at a rabbi's feet yeah so i hate to break the people who are like oh you know being a sitter and and it you got to do there too mm-hmm. like well, you're not just like you're actually learning to become like the rabbi and i'm not a good rule follower yeah. and neither was jesus thank <laughs> you jesus mm-hmm. that you know he broke a lot of rules and made a lot of new stuff right that, that wasn't that way which technically today should give us freedom That, you know, there isn't one way always to get something done Mm -hmm. or, you know, that you have to do things a certain way to have them be effective. I mean, if you look at healing, he does it different every single Mm -hmm. time. I mean, he I I have often thought that spitting in the mud was the right way to heal people. (laughs) Spitting in the mud was the right way to heal people, right? Well, and and like to your point right there is like Jesus is defending Mary's right to be a disciple. Mm-hmm. Like we get this conversation about like, are you a sitter? Or are you a doer? And Jesus is actually saying, Martha, don't judge Mary for her choice to be a disciple. She's allowed to be a disciple. Like, don't get into this. You well, know, that's the true purpose, right? Mm-hmm. To learn what he was teaching and then be able to know and go and spread the good news. Mm-hmm. You can feed people all day long, but if you can't have a conversation about what Jesus's true intentions were, it's not really helpful. Yeah. I mean, that's what he wants from us today. Yeah. We can go and do all kinds of things, but if we lack our personal relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. we're missing the point. Well, and, that, and that's not even to say doing things is bad. I mean, he says that we I turned have to do stuff. Like mm-hmm. when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was had no clothes, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. Well, when did we do this? When you did it for the least of these. Mm-hmm. So there is an implication that like a changed heart causes you to do something different. In fact, we've said it, we said it this way on the podcast before. I don't care what your theology is. If it doesn't cause you to be more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, most times, at least for me, I get interrupted and I get pretty frustrated and ticked off about it. But a lot of times it's the interruptions that God is looking to do something, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. We are people of a planned, you know, planned thing. But if we're in charge of that plan all the time and doing it, then how does God break through into that? Right. Right. And you know, yeah. th- that whole concept, it, it's a precarious balance yeah. all the time because we say, oh, we're going to feed people. But do we actually talk to the people on the street when we walk by them? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's... If you're Spencer's sister, then the answer is yes. It is very true. Yeah, very true. She's just, she's just a very giving, generous person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because on the being inconvenienced thing, 
like when we try to put God in a box, it's like trying to put a cardboard box over a lion and being like, okay, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be safe. What do you think that lion's going to do as soon as a cardboard box gets put over it? Right. Like it's going to break through that box and be like, no, we're going to do things a little differently. Yeah. Right. And when you have that moment, there's that moment of being uncomfortable, that moment of uncertainty. Then we still try to take back in, in control into our hands and we'd be like, okay, so what's the outcome going to be? Mm-hmm. And then when Jesus is really like, that's my concern. The outcome is my concern. Your concern is actually doing what you've been called to do. One, one of the things yeah. that I always find particularly interesting is there's a type of person who claims to follow Jesus that I'm going to call a heresy hunter. Mm-hmm. Right? They're people that like their entire job is to root out heresy and root out people. Too much time on their hands. Yeah. Very true. Jesus tells me parables about, he says, go and collect the wheat and the weeds. Yeah. I will go and figure out which ones don't belong. Your job is to go and collect. You go and collect all the fish. My angels will take care of taking care of the bad fish. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, they're going to be the ones to take them out. This is my job. Your job is to go and collect and to speak and harvest. And like, and it's my job to figure out what's actually substantial or not. Yeah. But a lot of times we're like, oh, we're going to go figure out what are the tears, right? We want to find the tears. We're going to cut those tears out. Yeah. That... That's not our job. We're not responsible for that. Like to your point, mm-hmm. our job is to go and be faithful, mm-hmm. right? To love, share the gospel, do good, talk about Jesus, represent the kingdom of God in the world wherever we go. It hurts my heart. And I'm sure you can relate to this. What? I have hurting your heart. Kids. Yes, I hurt your heart on often basis. No, so, <laughs> what I'm gonna say. Uh, I have four kids that were raised in the ministry, mm-hmm. and recently they have a cousin that they have grown up with that they're really good friends who married a man who is going to into the ministry. Mm-hmm. And before she got married, she came over, and all my kids are adults now, and was like, "Okay, tell me what you think about this, and tell me, you know, is this a good thing?" And you know, I'm nervous about being a minister's wife and this, and you grew up in this bubble, so what does that mean? And Initially, all my kids said all this negative stuff. Mm. And it, I, they came back and told me this. I wasn't in the conversation, mm. but they came back and told me this. And I was like, oh, it hurts my heart that they're saying all these, like a lot of the things of hypocrisy or people holding them to a standard that they aren't even mm. being held to themselves. Uh, just their thoughts about how people in ministry should be versus somehow that's separate from themselves, which Mm -hmm. we're all called to be that way. Mm -hmm. And then later after they had a discussion amongst themselves about, Oh, I feel kind of bad that I told her all these bad things when this is, you know, where God's calling her Mm -hmm. and it seems clear that's what she wants. And so in their discussion amongst themselves, they also said, it's also the best things about our life Mm -hmm. that have happened. Mm -hmm. And so they went back to tell her, Hey, we got a little caught up in some of the negative things or some of the things that were really hard about our life. Yeah. But I just want to say also in saying yes and in them saying yes in their own lives as they grew older, it also became some of the best parts of their journey and yeah. opportunities that they never would have had. And I think sometimes people look at Christians or people look at the church and they're like, I don't want to be a part of that because it doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. These people that are pointing out all the cracks are not people I want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. And uh, that makes me sad because that was not Jesus's intention right. ever. Right. And uh, as a person representing him or wanting to represent him, which is yeah. all of our jobs, by the way. And if you want to know about women in the Bible, open up your Bible. Yeah. That's what I want to go back and say about that. 
Like read every scripture and then get some friends together and talk about it and ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. You don't got to listen to us or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like he will reveal it to you. Listen to her. You Sorry. don't have to listen to us. Just st- turn off this podcast. No, it's still don't good. Don't listen to us anymore. Everything you hear and see, you should be <laughs> praying about and asking God if it's the truth. Oh, yeah. And he 100%. can speak to you through all kinds of things, including this podcast. And I hope that for everyone yeah, yeah. listening. Yeah. But at the same time, he wants to speak to you. So yeah. you should listen. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of times we fail to realize that the things that are sometimes the biggest struggle are actually the biggest blessings. Yeah. I've been married for 14 years and it has not been easy any of those years. It has, however, been fantastic and worth every minute. Mm -hmm. I've had kids for five years and I can't think of a month that it was easy, Uh but it has been fantastic, you know, right? And this also comes back to a conversation I I have with people about the kingdom of God too, because we tell people that, you know, if you accept Jesus, he's going to come into your life and it's going to be like great and fantastic and all that stuff is true. It's also going to be difficult. Yeah. The Christian life is not easy. Yeah. Like you're, you have to become the kind of person who's willing to lay down your life on behalf of other people. Jesus's coronation event was getting crucified on a cross. Yeah. And he was God made flesh. Our life is not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Yeah. And to tell somebody that following Jesus is easy is a disservice to them. And quite frankly, it's a flat out lie because that's not how following Jesus is following Jesus is a lifelong pursuit of learning how to put your life on display for the kingdom of God to bring bring God's kids home in this world. And when you're going out into your community to be Christ to your community, Jesus lays it out in Matthew 10. He's like, it's actually going to suck at yeah. times. That's the Spencer translation right there. People are going to mess with you and they're going to yeah. be like, oh, I'm doing good for God because I'm messing with you. Yeah. Jesus says you're, you are going to be sheep going out amongst wolves. You're going... He goes on to say you're going to be thrown in prison. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be run out of towns. All of these things. He's like, all for the sake of Yeah. Like, well, sometimes I think yeah. maybe that's why women are built, or maybe why women are more responsive. And maybe this is a sexist remark towards, I mean, as myself, as a woman, who if, knows? If it is, I have full editing power. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just thinking, as a man, I mean, yeah. any woman that has a child gets it. Yeah, like, yeah gets it you guys don't have children also any woman that has to work with a man who treats them as a lesser person as a result of being a woman Mm -hmm. also culturally has a way to deal with that already Mm -hmm. men don't have that Mm -hmm. like uh, i'm trying to think i'll think of it here in a minute where we were there was an example that just recently happened it'll come to my perimenopausal mind here where if it had been like a circumstance where a woman was in it and they were you know given a hard time but if it had been a man it would have been treated completely different Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah so sometimes when i think about how women responded to jesus that they would have already understood all that intuitively if they were adult women with children or things like that that they would have Mm -hmm. been able to acquiesce or humble themselves to that role in a kinder way than potentially a man, if that makes sense. Well, and I think there's something inherent in the message that those of you who feel like you're on the outside are being welcomed in. Mm -hmm. Right. If you are an oppressed gender, it's going to be very appealing. It's going to be, it's going to resonate with your heart because you're like, 
on a very real level, people sit there and they're like, life isn't supposed to be this way. Like you can feel it because we're supposed to resonate to the natural rhythms of creation, but creation is flawed because of sin, mm -hmm. right? I was like, but we know like in our core, we can feel it like something's not right. Like it's kind of one of those reasons like often you don't have to tell somebody they're a sinner to, for them to actually know that they're out of sync with who God wants them to be. Yeah. Right? Like you, what you're helping to do is present a reality and an invitation to a reality to be a different kind of person. Yeah. Well, you know, only know what you know. So mm -hmm. yeah. I was raised in a divided home spiritually. Yeah. And so I saw one side of things and I saw another side of things what is the right side of things when you're a kid mm -hmm. looking towards that. And then I had my own personal journey within that. Unless I stay willing to explore those things, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't allow that change to happen for God inside of me. If I land over here or mm -hmm. I land over here and I just say, that's it, which a lot of us do, we believe truths that come into our life mm -hmm. at a certain time and we don't question them again until we deliberately have something that we encounter like this, that we're like, hmm, is this really true what I believe well, for the last at, 20 Look at that. Years? She's narrowing in on why we're doing this podcast yeah. series. <laughs> that's uh, perfect. That's I love that. Part of the reason why a lot of bigger name pastors actually get called heretics is yeah. because like in their earlier years, they will have said something. And Ben has heard me say this. If you're given a chance to preach from a pulpit at church, you're going to speak heresy at some point. <laughs> like yeah. it's going to happen. All right. Not on purpose, but you probably will. But you probably will. I'm, I'm not going to say you probably will. I'm going to say you will. You will. Yeah. It probably will be on accident because that's usually how it goes. But a lot of bigger name pastors in their earlier years, they've said one thing. And then in the later years, they're saying something else because they have a deeper understanding of scripture, the work of Jesus in their lives. And they're like, okay, I had this wrong before. But a lot of times people will be like, well, they said this 30 years ago. I was like, well, they might have been 20 and dumb at the time when they said that. Yeah. Well, those right? kinds of people like, drive me crazy. Yeah. No offense. But again, oh, true. when you're Same sitting there. there listening to a preacher, yeah. I'm married to one. I have to yeah. listen to the man that I'm married every day with, that <laughs> I live with, that's a pastor. Uh -huh. I listen to him every Sunday. And I don't say, oh, he, he should have wore a different shirt. Or, oh, he just said mean things to me yesterday. Uh -huh. I say, what does God have for me today yeah. when he's preaching a yeah. sermon, not he as my husband, but he as God speaking to me on this Sunday morning. Yeah. And it would take care of a lot of that. Like yeah. I've been in ministry yeah. a long time now. I've seen yeah. all kinds of awful things happen and people falling off of the pedestal that other people have put them on mm -hmm. and those yeah. types of things. And guess what? God speaks to people through all of that. He, does. Yeah. he uses all of that for his good. And it, you may not be able to see it at the time, or you may not be able to even think it at the time because you're hurting or you're suffering some kind of consequence. But God is still in all that, still being God, and still letting people grow in him and see things out of it. It drives me a little crazy when people write on their comment card or their comment card for this, oh, you shouldn't have said this or you shouldn't have said that. Well, let's look again at the whole context, mm -hmm. yeah. right? I have a great receptacle for those kind of comment cards. So the, uh, we, we actually get some pretty funny comments on like different videos and stuff that we do. I always tell people, I was like, you can make whatever comment you want. We're responsible for content. You can make all the comments you want. We may or may not answer you because like, I was like, quite honestly, if you're making a statement about that, you don't like our beards or you don't like our opinions, like start your own park podcast, yeah, start your own podcast. You also don't have to listen. Like we're here to have an authentic conversation. We invite people on here who we don't always see everything eye to eye with because we want to have real conversations mm -hmm. because 
faith, faithful followers of Jesus need to have ways to just have these conversations. Yeah. Coming back to the teachings of Jesus and this idea of like, how did Jesus interact with women? In the book of Luke, Kenneth Bailey has a ton of examples of how Jesus is speaking into, and he's using these dual parables. And I'm just going to kind of go through these really quick. So yeah. in his first sermon, when he goes in Nazareth, in, in Nazareth, he talks about two stories out of tradition. There's the story of the woman of, of Zarephath, and then there's the story of the man, Naaman, the Cyrene. Now, both of them are Gentiles and both are heroes of faith. So he names both a woman and a man, both Gentiles. Like this is part of Jesus' regular teaching. Then in 536, he talks about the mending of a garment, which is typically a task of a woman, and also the making of wine, which is typically the work of men. He's talking about like these two different kind of jobs, two different genders, but he's using it for the same exact illustrative purposes mm-hmm. on this invitation into the kingdom life. Jesus is concerned for the outcast and the sinner. There's the woman who's rejected at the house of Simon. And then there's the parable of the Pharisee and they call him the publican tax collector in Luke 18. There's two parables about prayer being answered. The first is about this friend at midnight that keeps knocking on your door and won't leave you alone. And that's definitely Spencer. (laughs) (laughs) I need bread. No. No, And then there's this responsible for sending you reels at midnight. Sending reels at midnight. Yeah. Uh, And then there's a story about this woman, this indifferent judge, this guy who's like, listen, I don't fear God nor people, but if I don't take care of her, she's going to drive me insane, right? Like this is, it's both man and woman again. And this is a parable of the mustard seed planting done by men linked with the kneading of leaven into dough, which is typically the work of a woman. Now that's just a quick spattering, but Kenneth Bailey notes in his book that he's found 27 pairs of cases of men and women in the gospel of Luke alone, where they're pairing these two ideas of this is directed towards men, directed towards women. Jesus himself in his teaching is always talking about how do men and women engage the gospel? Like it's not just for men. It's not a story just for men. It's not a story just for women. It's a story for both of us in like, how do you actually live out the principle and be God's people on earth? And then there's like famous interactions that he has. Like there's this woman caught in adultery, which we've talked about a number of times on the podcast, right? It's a really weird story because immediately you're like, well, where's the guy? Now you've been married how many years? A long time. Yeah. And you, so I, I, I think you're aware that when there is a union between two people, two people have to be there. And so if you're caught in the very act, there should theoretically be two people there. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this woman who's caught and she's the one thrown out and they're like, well, the law says you need to stone her. This is a setup of literally biblical proportions. <laughs> well, it speaking of who we spot, spoke of earlier, Mary, wasn't that her consequence? What she should have had happened to her is mm-hmm. be stoned. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of thematic yeah. that he, you know, somebody that is caught in something. So, I mean, in that, in Mary's case, God had that happen to her. In this person's case, she may be made, made a wrong choice or maybe was forced into it. How, how do we know? All we know for for certain is that Jesus confronts the religious leaders in their hypocrisy mm-hmm. with knowledge that makes them back away. And then the way that he interacts with the woman caught in sin is with grace. Mm-hmm. It's with grace and, and gentleness. And, and it's not that he doesn't call her to something else, but he refuses to treat her as anything less than a human being. Mm-hmm. This is who Jesus is. We have a similar story about the woman at the well in the gospel of John, right? And she is, depending on how you interpret the story, 
has had multiple husbands and a lot of different like situations like that. But when she is confronted with the nature of who Jesus is and the fact that Messiah has come and he's even willing to come and visit Samaria, mm-hmm. she becomes a missionary. Because she goes and tells the entire town and the, like, starts talking to the entire region about who this Jesus character is to actually tell the story, which by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, that's what pastors do. Mm-hmm. They tell the story. That story in particular drives me crazy yeah. also. Because <laughs> in the culture of that time, she wouldn't have had a lot of choices. It's not like <laughs> she was rule of the roost going out and saying, I'll have this husband and this husband and this husband, right? Yeah. I mean, she was surviving yeah. is what she was doing. Yeah. And even though all those things happened, look at the influence she had. So yep. she must have been a pretty great woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though all those things happened. Because yeah. if she was a piece of trash, who would she would be and how would she be influencing people? Yeah. Right? So she had influence despite those things happening. Mm-hmm. So he saw that inside of her, mm-hmm. regardless of the outside, and she responded in love to it. Yeah. And, you know, was committed from that point on. This guy's for real for me. Started preaching the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do people overcome, you know, like I work in sales in my regular job and they always talk about regular job, like, well, one of the things I do a lot of things, but anyway, I've learned a lot about sales in general. That wasn't my intention. But one of the things they talk about is that sales isn't an easy job. You're trying to get someone to buy something. Right. And how do you do that? And that kind of thing. But one of the things that they talk as a person You have to figure out why, what is your motivation behind what you want to do? Because when you hit hard times or hard sales or whatever it is, your tendency is going to want to be to quit. Right. So these people's why, these Mm -hmm. disciples, these women that Mm -hmm. followed after Jesus figured out their why Mm -hmm. early on. And it was enough for them to hold on to through all the things, watching Jesus die on the cross having everybody go out looking Mm -hmm. to kill anybody else that was associated with him, Mm -hmm. that they were able to hold on to their why or that personal thing that Jesus did for them to go on and change the world. Really? Yeah. Yeah. To the point with all of that is that Jesus sees the value. He respects the person and he calls the gold out, right? Like he sees what he sees the, image of God and the people and he calls them out and like that's the way that we're supposed to be man woman doesn't matter like we call the image out and we call them to a life of Jesus there's another story in the book of the Bible where it talks about the woman with the issue of blood right and she quotes from she remembers some scripture that it says that there's healing in his wings which by the way I don't know if you know the conifote of the zitziot which is the tassels on the end of the robe that they have that that's called their wings and so when she reaches out and she touches the conifote of his zitziot recognizing this passage of the Messiah has healing in his wings, right? So when she, if I can just touch this cloak, recognizing scripture, right? And Jesus recognizes it and he sees her. But one of the things that I think is really compelling is he addresses her as he says, daughter of Abraham, which we read right over because we're like, yeah, daughter of Abraham, Israel. Yeah, I get it. But she was unclean. She was on the ground. Like she would not have been called like a daughter of Abraham because daughter of Abraham is a term of respect. Jesus sees her, not unlike how God sees Hagar in the desert. He is the God who sees her and recognizes her and gives her respect and compassion. Well, I could be misquoting this, but I think I've read that in reading that passage. One of the things is that it was 
she had no ability to control that. Correct. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that she was being punished or anything. Mm. It was actually potentially for his glory that she suffered all that time for this redemption to happen later on in showing the power of Jesus to be able to heal her that, you know, sometimes we get mixed up that these bad things are happening for some kind of reason or that kind of thing, but that this particular situation for her was to, she suffered. I mean, as her cause of suffering was to give glory to Jesus later on. She didn't even know any of that. Yeah. And her boldness in that. So like we often just read that like, Oh, well she went and touched the tassels of of his rope. Right. Well, if she was unclean, she would have actually been required to keep distance from other people. Right. And the passage actually specifically tells us that there was a vast crowd around Jesus. Yeah. So what she's essentially doing is she's bringing her filth into the crowd so she can get to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right. To talk about a boldness. Like Mm -hmm. she's like, I know I should not be going through this crowd, but there's Messiah. I need to touch the tassels of his robe so I can be healed. Yeah. Right. Inspiration. Yeah. And the only reason I ever give any pushback on sickness is so that the glory of God can be revealed is I think sometimes people can take that and they can twist it. Absolutely. I know that God is always good and that God desires his kids to be healthy. You know, I know that because I have kids and I desire them to be healthy all the time too. One, because I don't like them sneezing on me. And then two, because I don't like them being sick. Wow. I was like, but I do recognize that God doesn't always heal because he is in control of the entire universe and he has a much broader picture than I do. Yeah. That's always his will. It doesn't mean necessarily he's going to. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, I world. never want my kids to be sick. Mm-hmm. And if I could prevent them from being sick, I don't know that would be good for them always. Yeah. Because there is something in sickness that actually helps you actually grow as a person too. Well, are you fans of the chosen? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. He has a conversation. The big old fans have chosen. Which disciple, <laughs> forgive me, which disciple is it that actually says he has a conversation in that show where he says, hey, you've healed these other people. How come you haven't healed me? Yeah. Did you watch that one? And Jesus gives him an answer. Yeah. I mean, a kind of a interpreted answer from yeah. what the Bible would say about that. Yeah. But it was not an easy answer. No. no. I didn't think. But I think also a truthful one, like, that we all have to rectify our own faith with God in the crosses that we're bearing for our own lives. Like it might be physical for one person. It could be a lot different for someone else. And certainly people that are outside of the United States that are being persecuted have their own things to bear. Mm -hmm. You know, we we will go a little bit deeper on healing in our next mini series, which we're actually going to talk about the gifts of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're going to talk about that a little bit deeper because I think sometimes Believing that Jesus is always going to heal and praying with that kind of faith is absolutely the way that you need to always pray. But if the answer doesn't come that you want, you always have to know that God is good. Yeah. And those two things you have to hold in tandem because it's really easy to cross too far from one to the other. And just because something didn't happen the way you thought it should mm-hmm. does not mean that God is not good. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is it causes you to actually press into relationship and be like, God, what were you doing here? Like, help me understand, you know? There are some things we're just not going to understand. I took a class because healing is an interest of mine. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'd like to know more and I'd certainly love to tap into whatever power God wants to for me to pray for people and get them healed. And I watched all these interviews of people who had a healing ministry Mm -hmm. and would be considered gifted in healing. And they were talking about all the times that they personally had people come to them and asked for healing and it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. 
And here they are known with this title of being a healer and having a healing ministry, yet this person that they were so close to, it didn't happen. And it was fascinating just to listen to the, their own personal struggle of how can you do so much here, Jesus, but what about this person that I'm you right. know, struggling with and what that did to their relationships and such? It was mind-blowing, really. Yeah. And it, it requires a level of maturity to recognize that, one, you don't know everything. And then two, that you need to be faithful even when the answers don't turn out the way you want them to. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to say, we have one more encounter with Jesus that we need to talk about. Psycho-Phoenician woman. You know, we're, we're just coming back to this idea of like who, how Jesus interacts with uh, different people. There is, there's also the Psycho-Phoenician woman. I'll probably leave that in because that's pretty good. <laughs> the Syro-Phoenician woman where like she is not a Jew, mm -hmm. right? And she comes and she asks Jesus for a miracle. And Jesus says, he replies with this thing where people take it way harsher than it actually would have been in that language, which is you can't give to what's meant for the kids to the dogs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. People, they're like, oh, he's calling her a dog. Well, this culture, it doesn't actually mean that the same way. It's not as harsh as it sounds, but that she responds in faith, right? She says, but even the dogs are allowed the table scraps, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is incredibly impressed by her faith. This foreign woman, which by the way, there's also a foreign man. Yep who is a, uh, a Roman centurion, who also Jesus recognizes his faith. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that there's, once again, a pairing here of a, a foreign woman and a foreign man, both of who recognize the authority of Jesus, and he, he was impressed by their faith. Uh, and to close out today, we need to talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Because the, we know the story. He went to the cross, died, was buried. Three days later, rose again. And then when he was rose, when he came out from the grave, who were the first people that he entrusted the message to? Right. Women. 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 Right. And this is actually one of the passages I go to frequently when people are like, well, women shouldn't be able to preach. And I'm like, okay, well, Jesus entrusted this message to women. Yeah. Where did they go? They went back to the disciples. Yeah. Yeah. And proclaimed this message okay so if that's not preaching i don't know what is yeah right these women that jesus was like here you follow me you are disciples of mine here is this message you are held on equal status to where you get to go and proclaim this message to the rest of the disciples mm. huge mm. well and they were all in he had to show up on a road later with some other disciples and yeah you know, who didn't know who he was. Well, and, and Thomas is like, I wasn't there. So unless I touch the right. holes in his wrist and the the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. Like, right. yeah. Those women mm -hmm. all in, didn't see him mm -hmm. right off the bat, you know? I mean, yeah, there was and, an angel. So that yeah. helps, I guess. But yeah. And not all the disciples believe, like you're saying, right? And the two that really did believe, Peter and John were like, let's go. Yeah. Like, we need to see this. Yeah. Apparently Peter's not like super fast at running. Apparently. Yeah. Cause <laughs> it says that. Peter takes off and then John outruns him and gets there first. I see those, yeah. like I've seen those reels on Instagram where they're like, where like, it's a guy acting like Peter and he's like pointing out the Bible and it, that verse comes up and then the guy who's pretending to be John just like runs away. Yeah. And it's like, I was like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like them fighting words. The death burial life ministry and death and burial of Jesus is a pivotal event in history that doesn't reach its conclusion without the resurrection. Amen. Right. They bury him too. Right. Like, no, I, I, I also have, him. I have pointed out in the past where people only talk about the death, burial, resurrection, and they forget that the life actually matters too. Mm -hmm. The life is what validates the death, burial, and resurrection, mm -hmm. right? He put Torah on display for people to see 
and talked about the kingdom of God and then ushered it in so that this gospel of the kingdom of God is here and ready to be interacted with is now a reality for humanity. Right. And so like, because death has been defeated. And so now through faith in Christ, like the serpent in the desert that's lifted up, we look to him, but we really look past Jesus to the third room of God and we find salvation. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this is the whole thing that's going on here. And this message He's like, you know who I'm going to entrust it to? People who are on the outside, who are not trusted necessarily in society for important messages. I'm going to give them the place of utmost importance, and you're going to carry my message of this upside-down kingdom. You know, where this echoes back to is actually really interesting is because this actually goes full circle and echoes back to Mary, mm-hmm. who was entrusted with mm-hmm. this baby, Yep, who had to carry the shame of of having a child outside of wedlock her whole life joseph had to carry it too they had to carry that shame together and yet they raised this kid and he lived a sinless life Mm -hmm. went to the cross lay dead for three days rose again and then that message went back to women oddly enough shared by another lady named Mary. mary yeah 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 it's pretty cool the bible's a really cool book like God knows what he's doing. It, it turns out that he's pretty good at crafting a story. He is. You know, really quick here. We'll kind of just, we're going to land the plane, but we did not cover everything Jesus talked about with women in the Bible. Nope. Right. We skimmed a stone across, <laughs> right? That'd take hours. That would, that would take, that would take hours. That would take much more episodes than this. This would be like season two. All, all we're trying to do is prompt in your brain. Hey, what did Jesus actually do? Mm-hmm. With that being said, I'm going to ask a very broad question. Let's kind of just ruminate on this as we close. What does the life of Jesus inform on us on how he views women's role in the kingdom of God and ministry overall? Mm -hmm. And I'll say for myself that he's very pro and he's not stuck on necessarily what the culture believes, but about what the kingdom of God actually teaches. And I will say what Torah has taught all along is that women have value. They're made in the image of God. We are meant to be partners together, the etzer connecto, the force that opposes, and actually put the kingdom on display together so that the world would move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say what the reflection as here is that there's an equal status mm-hmm. when it comes to men and women being involved in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think can we just take like ten seconds and back up here a little bit? When we talk about ministry, oftentimes in the American church we're like, Okay, you're a pastor or something like that, right? Like, no, when I'm in my mind, when I'm talking about ministry, I'm talking about your life that you're living for Jesus and how you're bringing Jesus to your community mm-hmm. every day. Sure. Right? Well, that's what it makes me think yeah. of when I hear that question. I don't think of gender. I just right. think of God has always loved me Yep. better than anyone else in this world. Yeah. Preach. Yeah. And <laughs> so it's not a gender issue for yeah, me. No. It's a, he showed up and I've had a lot of things that have been hard in my own life and it's been very unexpected. But through all those things, he has answered every single time. And that to me is he sees me when other people don't see me. Mm -hmm. He set forth a plan, a purpose that is good in store for me. That's unfolding every time I say yes, like Mary did to him. And he is faithful to complete that work until I go to heaven. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. All those things don't matter. You're just his child, and he has a plan for you, and he wants you to say yes to him. Yeah. 
I like it. We're going to wrap it up there. We want to thank you so much for being with us this week. Uh, I suspect you're going to be a fan favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're like, finally, somebody that will talk over Ben. <laughs> Kate, if you want to send us an email, it's loveandcontext at gmail.com. <laughs> care of Spencer McDowell. So the uh, it was really we're really glad you guys could be with us today and we will see you next week when we'll have Pastor Nick's wife on and we'll actually tell you her name next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Till next time. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Love and Context. We hope you enjoyed this engaging conversation and gained valuable insights into the powerful message of love within the Bible. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Connect with us by sending us your questions, thoughts, and suggestions to loveandcontext at gmail.com. We greatly appreciate your feedback and ideas for future episodes. Stay connected with us on social media for updates, behind-the-scenes content, and additional resources. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Love and Context. Don't forget to hit that follow button to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join our growing community. Thank you for being part of the Love and Context family. Remember, love is at the heart of it all. Until next time, keep seeking wisdom, embracing love, and living out your faith in the context of today's world. Okay. I was like, it'd be her- tor- terrible you can see that. if we record for, <laughs> for a while and then we don't have anything going. Right. Um, almost, almost 13 minutes in. Okay. Sounds good.